0: So today, uh, we are going to finish what we started last week, a little two-part message, a little devotional thought to warm your hearts uh, on free will. So last week, we talked about this subject matter. If you were here last week, we talked about free will, does man have free will? And we looked at it from the perspective of the God above. We looked at it from God's sovereign hand, and we basically we looked at Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Take your Bibles, and we'll start there. And we'll end there, but then we'll go a lot of places in between. Genesis fifty verse twenty. We looked at this passage. Genesis chapter fifty verse twenty. And by the way, if you didn't hear, please go back and listen. Our this is just a two parter. Next week we're going to jump back into our minor prophets. We've got six more minor prophets. We're going to be and um, we're going to be in Zechariah uh, next week, starting off. But you look in verse twenty. And this is Joseph telling his brothers, as for you, you meant evil against me. Joseph says, you had a moral responsibility. You meant evil against me. You'll hear me explain this a little bit. You could say that his brothers exercised a free will according to their nature. You meant evil against me. But he says, but God God meant it for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive. So he says, in the end, God was so sovereign over all this, although he doesn't negate their personal responsibility or their moral will. Or if you like that word free will, which I struggle with that word. I can't forbid it. We'll talk more about it. If you want to think of that word free will there, of their free will, I would caution you to think of it as in free will according to the na- their nature. We'll explain that more then then that's fine. But overall, God's sovereign over all this. But now let's look at it from man's perspective because what people do is they look at this and they go, "Aha! if God is sovereign, if God meant it for good, then we can't hold Joseph's brothers responsible for anything that they've done. If God is sovereign, then man is completely off the hook for his sin. But we know that can't be true in the scripture. So how do we reconcile, which is really one of the hardest questions to ever answer, Uh, in Christianity. Well, let me lay my cards on the table. Actually, I've never played, uh, the only uh, card game I think I've ever played really is 21 or Goldfish. I don't really know anything else. Never played poker. Someone tried to teach me, but I just was not intellectually strong enough to uh, absorb such a thing. Oh, someone's texting me. I better, I guess I better turn my phone off right now. You You shouldn't answer text while you preach or while you drive, all right? I think both are illegal. (laughs) <laughs> unless unless someone's texting me that I did Look at this. Okay. I just did something illegal, making sure I didn't do something like not turn my mic on. Y'all would have told me that, though, wouldn't you? Right? Okay. See? I want to lay my cards on the table. I'm just going to lay them out. Three things I want to lay on the front end. This could kind of be introduction. First I want to lay on the table is this. God's highest good is not the preservation of what I would call our so-called sovereign free will. Just lay it on the table. God's highest good is not the preservation of our so-called sovereign free will. Now, we're going to use that word free will a little bit. I can't forbid it. I mean, there's theologians that use it. Yeah, I'll explain to you some of my angst in my soul with how we use that word. But God's highest good is not the preservation of what's called our so-called sovereign free will our sovereign free will what i'm saying is this i've heard people all the time go what about man's free will god would never get in the way of man's free will acting as if the holy god like the one commandment god has bound himself to is i will maneuver my life around what man has decided lay my cards on the table don't believe that not for one minute well, there's several reasons why I don't believe that. One, man has a fallen, sinful human nature and is in bondage to sin. Man doesn't have the ability to make really great choices on his own. So I can't even go with that. Then, but number two, like he is God is, is, is I, and I am not. Psalms 135.7 says the Lord does whatever he pleases. If you don't like hip-hop, if you like hip-hop, then this would be a great song to listen to. If you don't like hip-hop, then just try this song anyways. There's a guy named Shay Shaylin who has a song called Our God is in the Heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Like sometimes when I just want to like pump my fist high in the air and just like really get after God, like I love singing that song, Our God is in the Heavens. He does whatever he pleases. That's the only kind of God worth worshiping. So what some people do when they come into this idea of God would never get in the way of our free will, what they'll do is they'll go, ah, here's how it works. God foreknows who's going to get saved. God foreknows what you're going to do in life. And then God predestines and elects and kind of figures out what you're going to do and then molds himself around that. And I would go, you can't support that with Scripture. You can only support that from the view of man's view of how life works. So laying on the table... God's highest good is not the preservation of our sovereign free will. I would say we don't have sovereign free will, but you get the idea of what I'm saying, right? I, I don't. That's not, I mean, everybody thinks that's the way our humanistic culture thinks. That's the way we think that God would never get in the way of man's will. Not true. God will do whatever God's going to do to direct things to the glory, to his glory, and the proclamation and fame of his name. And he's completely worthy to do that. Number two, I want to lay this card on the table. The closest man has ever been to this idea of free will. And when I say free will, I mean this idea of some kind of autonomy or sovereignty. I would say would be before the fall. Although I would not say that man had sovereignty or autonomous free will before the fall. But I'm saying if you want to say like, when was man the freest in the decisions that he made in life? I would say probably before the fall. Although I would never I I can't actually say, even in the fall, he had complete autonomy and free will of sovereignty because of the fact of this. Adam is responsible morally for what he did in the fall, but don't make no bones about it, friends. You can't read the scriptures honestly and not know that that was God's plan, that Adam fell in the garden by God's sovereign plan, but yet Adam is morally responsible for what he did. Now listen, before the fall, Adam had a human nature that could pick good or evil, right? He had a human nature that was capable of good or evil choosing. After the fall, he now has a sinful human nature. And that sinful human nature is passed down to us in our DNA. Meaning this, if you ever wanted to think of man has free will, the freest he probably would have ever had, and still limited because of a holy sovereign God... It probably would have been before the fall. That's when Adam could choose good or evil. Now, now, after the fall, he's fallen. Not only is death coming for him, but spiritual death. How do we know that? Because God says in the day that you eat the fruit, you're going to die. Well, you didn't see Adam die immediately. So although it was physical, it didn't happen immediately. But what did we see happen with Adam? He experienced immediate spiritual death. And the DNA of that spiritual death passed on to us where we are in bondage to sin so I would say this, the closest man ever had to any kind of free will that people use in their common vernacular of free will was probably before the fall. But realize this, now, after the fall, you and I inherit the sinful nature. We are in bondage uh, to sin before Christ comes to our life. Like, we we don't even, we don't have this great moral compass. Like, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, so even the idea of saying like, man, what about man's free will to choose God? Let's take like before salvation. I would say, how can someone who is dead choose life? Man is a fallen, has a fallen human nature. So by the way, just a side note, don't think that I was saying that, that Adam had this complete sovereign free will to the point of, of exercising what he want. But That was the best man ever was, okay, before the fall. Now here's what's awesome. In God's sovereignty, the garden was awesome. But because of Adam's fall, God's grace gets shown even more. God has a plan for everything that he's doing. And in fact, you find at the end of Genesis 3, Genesis 3.15, in the midst of the curses, God makes a promise to He's going to bring a resolution. He said, Basically, he says in Genesis 3.15, I'm going to bring a Savior to undo all this. And then you find Adam calling his wife's name Eve, which means the mother of all living, which means he basically says this promise that from us is going to come a seed, and this seed is going to bring redemption. He already starts to place faith in the grace of God. Already, you find at the end of Genesis 3 that God is... Cutting is cutting an animal and providing coverings to point us towards the covering that Jesus would have. And by the way, people say this. Well, was it God's grace that came in then and pointed that to Adam? Or was it Adam that initiated that? I go, it was God's grace first. Old Testament saints were saved by looking forward to the cross like we're saved by looking back to the cross. But Adam, after the fall, with a fallen human nature, did not choose God first. God chose him. God came after him. God gave him new life. And the faith that Adam had was a result of God's grace first. And just so you know, even today, when a person comes to Jesus as Lord and King, people go, well, that person chose Christ. I would say, no, actually, if you have a fallen human nature, bondage to sin, you place faith in Christ because first... God gave you new birth. First, it's a big word called regeneration. God came for you first. Grace came for you first. A lot of people, and this would be people who think of this big idea that they think man has just this kind of unlimited autonomous free will. What they think is, I placed faith in Christ, and then God extended grace to me. I don't see that in Scripture. What I see is this. God extends His grace to us because how can a man who is in bondage to sin and dead in his trespasses and sins, do anything. God in his grace actually comes for man, brings what's called the new birth. And then man in faith responds to that. It's a pretty quick process, but it's all of God first. So just laying those cards on the table to you, um, I, I just want you to know that man has never had this autonomous free will. And if he ever did, the highest he probably would have had before the fall today you are falling we're gonna explain this more the number three card on the table by the way you might be going like man nick you're generating all sorts of questions i got nowhere to go after this service i want to have questions so throw them at me okay i've i've got lots of sparkling water okay and let's just like do it i've um you know i've got the poor man sparkling water that's aha uh-huh. you know what's that We'll take training home for me. <laughs> yeah, you might want to do that, okay? If it goes long enough, I'm going to go get the fancy sparkling water, okay? That's the, what's pellegrino? You know, sometimes when I'm feeling fancy, I get the pellegrino because it just feels fancy to say I'm drinking a pellegrino. Don't know why I went into that, okay? Number three, here's my card on the table. I personally don't like the word free will. There, I said it. <laughs> But I'm not going to quibble about saying that word because many really strong theologians still use that word. Even theologians in the past have used that word. But I want you to understand, when that word has been used by theologians and theologians of the past, there's some qualifiers to using that word free will. Now personally, I prefer the words personal responsibility or moral will or human will. I just prefer those words over personally saying the word free will. Because of our humanistic culture that lives in such an independence from God, just thinks about free will is this complete autonomy from the sovereign god i mean in 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 history's past, you didn't have democracy, you had a king and you bowed a knee to a king. People understood sovereignty we 've grown up in a totally different system that doesn't have a king, so we don 't quite get the whole sovereignty kind of thing, so we love. When we, when we say free will, we often think of this kind of like, yeah, unfettered. No one can tell me what to do. Not a government, not a man, not anything. So I'm just telling you, that's why there's this kind of like angst in my soul when people go, what about man's free will? And I would think, well, would you define that better? If you're thinking man's free will is in his complete autonomy and everything that he does or that he does not have a fallen human nature that he can choose good or bad just because he's intrinsically a good person, I would go, no, no. I'd prefer you use personal responsibility, moral will, human will, so you can correct your soul. But if you want to use the word free will, let me give you this qualifier. If you want to say free will, then say, man has free will according to his nature. Man has free will according to his nature. Now, if you want to use the word free will, do it. All right? Probably many are texting me right now and trying to mess with me about this word free will. It will probably be the running joke. If you want to use the word free will, use it. But I would love for you in your soul to know when you use it, you're not thinking of this autonomy or ultimate sovereignty of yourself. You're thinking, I have free will to act according to the nature that I have. We're going to discuss that here in just a little bit. But just so you know, I I don't intrinsically like that word. But other theologians use it. We do have to admit when we look at the scriptures, when we look in Genesis 50, we find that that Joseph says to his brothers, you meant evil against me. You did evil against me. You meant it. You intended it. So somewhere we have to say, okay, they had a moral will or a human will or personal responsibility. Or you could say that Joseph's brothers had a free will to act according to their fallen nature here and this is exactly what they did. You could use that. But you can't take away from the fact when we read all of Scripture that God does give man a will in some way. It's not sovereign. But the will that God gives him is according to his nature. So I would say this. If you're a fallen sinner, which we all are, but let's say you're unregenerate. You are not, you don't have the new birth. Jesus is not your Lord and King. You have that fallen sinful nature, and the ability to make moral choices in life is not intrinsically in you. You're probably going to make decisions in life based off of your nature. The free will that an unbelieving man is going to be making will be according to his nature. Now, that doesn't mean he can't do any good by, by human standards. doesn't mean that he doesn't desire happiness in his life. The unbelieving man, he may still go to work and want to provide well for his family, but there's, there's, there's no moral will behind that in the sense that he would go, I'm doing this solely for the glory of God and the proclamation of his name. No, that would take a new birth. That would take salvation. Parenthetically, if you are in Christ, if God has brought salvation into your life, you now have a new birth. You now are declared righteous before God. You now have a new nature. Although the residue of the old nature is still there, you can still sometimes revert back to it What is most normal for you is now to obey God. So I could say this. If you are a believer in Christ, someone that God has saved, could you say, I have free will according to the nature, the new birth, the new nature I have in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is a new what? Creation. Could you say, I've got free will according to my nature to obey God? Yes, you could say that. Just make sure, if you use that word free will, that's what you're thinking. But if you're using the word free will in the thought of, man has this autonomy from God, and God would never intersect what man does, I would say you're going much further than anybody else. Now listen, I can't sit sit around here and go, don't use the word free will, because, I mean, there's guys who've written about this who are so much smarter than I, I mean, There's guys who've written about this who don't have to use Grammarly to put out a really correct sentence, okay? Like there's real guys that never had to have that kind of technology. Jonathan Edwards, what was considered probably one of the most intelligent men ever in our country, he said this, Free moral agents always act according to the strongest inclinations they have at the moment of choice. Just to translate what Jonathan Edwards is saying here, he's using this idea that Man does have free moral agents always act according to the strongest inclinations they have at the moment of choice what is what is um, what is he saying in his work, The Law of the free Will he is saying man has desire, and man acts according to those desires according to the inclinations he's a free moral agent so what do we have what do we have Jonathan Edwards even talking about? He is talking about free will but Not this autonomous, soft free will. He's talking about free will according to the nature where that person is. So if that's how you want to use free will, use it. And I'm not the only one. Like John Calvin. John Calvin said this. If we mean by free will... This is a quote from John Calvin. Another really smart guy that didn't need Grammarly. If we mean by free will that fallen man has the ability to choose what he wants then, of course, fallen man has free will. So I can't walk around saying, like, you can't use the word. I just want you to use it right in its contexts. So John Calvin's talking about the unbelieving man, that, yes, you could say man has free will if he is choosing what he wants according to his nature. He also says this. If we mean by the term free will that man in his fallen state has moral power and ability to choose righteousness then free will is far too grandiose a term to apply to fallen man. R.C. Sproul went to be with the Lord this past year, um, says, every choice that we make is free. And what he means is free according to your nature. But he also says this, but every choice that we make is determined. So I can't walk around here and go, you can't use the word free will. I just want to caution you. When you use the word free will, be careful the thoughts in your mind and what that perpetuates. That's why you probably, in the time I've been here since 2012, y'all know I've been here since 2012? Like, I don't know, I don't know how you guys have not figured out how to fire me yet, but since 2012, and you've probably rarely heard me go, what about man's free will? I just, the, the pregnant baggage that that has, all right? That, that, that's not what I want to do. By the way that was a terrible use of words. There's no baggage to pregnancy. I just caught myself. We probably can't delete that, but there's no baggage. Let's I don't know how to correct the words I just said. Bad words. The baggage that would happen from that. So I would say this. I'm not you don't hear me saying the word free will a lot because there's so much baggage with it. People think they're so autonomous from the sovereign God. I just that's why you're going to hear me talk about Man's human responsibility or his personal responsibility or his moral will that he's responsible for or his human will. Or you'll, you'll hear sometimes if you talk to me about free will, I'll go, well, man has a will. But I can't forbid it. I can't walk around here saying no to it. Okay. There. I've done it. I've laid my cards on the table of where I'm at. Now I've got four things I want to tell you. One is this. We're going to come back to Genesis 50, but turn over to Romans 9. Romans 9. You not really believe how many times I walk to I go up to Bill after a Sunday sermon and go, can you scrub that one thing that I said online? While, I mean, that's the danger of everything live, it's just kind of out there, but at least I got to catch myself this time. By the way, I've given people permission, if I ever say something that's uh, doctrinally off, please correct me, because in real time, there's so many people watching online that have no context for knowing our church, and they, we would never want incorrect doctrine. so uh, you, you can always raise your hand and say, like, hey, what did you mean by that? Don't you love that? Don't you love that? I'm giving you free will. Okay, I'm going to get myself in trouble in a minute. Let's get into the text here. I want to read this for you. And first, if if you're looking for points, here's point one. God is the only one who truly has free will that is autonomous and sovereign. Oh, I love using the word the free will of God. His will is completely free. He does whatever he wants. And there would never be a God I'd want to serve that didn't have that. I would I would not worship a God that says, I will foreknow what you're going to do, Nick, and then I will pattern what I do around what I know you're going to do in the future. That's, that's a, That puts a little bit too much exaltation of Nick and not of God. I don't want that kind of Nick. If Nick had that kind of sovereignty... That would be really bad for us all. In fact, Nick doesn't have great sovereignty in his life. In fact, I mean, don't all of us make these New Year's resolutions that half the time we can't even keep by like two weeks in? That's how weak we are. We can't even keep our own rules. Wow, how unrighteous are we? I can't, I, <laughs> I can't even keep my own. Romans 9, 6 through 23. Let me describe to you the freeness of God's sovereign, autonomous will. Romans chapter 9, verse 6. This is a hard text. Your soul will either do one or two things in this text. If you exalt your own idea of autonomous, sovereign, free will, you'll get mad at this text. But if you're able to look at God, God's sovereign, free will in this text, you will exalt him and go, what kind of God is this who does whatever he pleases? Look in verse 6. But it is not, and this is uh, Romans 9, 6. I'm using the ESV version But it is not as though the word of God has failed. It's Paul writing to the Romans. For not all who were descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are the children of Abraham because they are of his offspring. Such as from Ishmael or from uh, Keturah. So he's just saying like not all the offspring of Abraham are part of the Messianic line. Part of the children of Abraham. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. God has chosen By his sovereign free will to bring about the Messiah through Isaac. By the way, if you've been doing the one-year chronology reading, you'd you'd see the traces of, of what we're talking about here. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise that are counted as God's offspring. For that is what we promise, that is what the promise said. That at this time next year, I will return and Sarah shall have a son not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, their forefather Isaac. Remember, Isaac comes from Abraham. God makes the promise, children of Israel, promise of the Messiah coming from you. Though they were not yet born and had done neither good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue. So because of works, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told the elder shall serve the younger, which means Esau would serve Jacob. And Esau was born first. That usually doesn't happen. Here's what it says. "As it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. So basically God says, I'm going to continue this line through Isaac, not Esau. Although man's view would see the works of his hands would be through Esau. But I'm choosing Isaac. I mean Jacob, thank you. Good job. What shall we say then, verse 14? He deals with the question. What do you mean? God's choosing this? Is there injustice on god 's part? He asks by no means, where he says to Moses, "I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, I will have compassion on whom I have compassion, so then it depends not on human will. by the way, there you go, okay with that human will that 's we have human will, we have moral will, we have free choice according to our nature, we have poor personal responsibility so so then it does not depend on human will or exertion but on God who has mercy. God decides. Who to extend mercy to? God decides what He's going to do. He's completely free. Verse seventeen: For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show My power in you, that by My name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Just the sovereign God. I mean, read the whole thing that happens with like Joseph and like all the trouble he goes through to God to get him down to Egypt to bring his family down to Egypt. Four hundred later, God raises up a Pharaoh just so that. that that God can exalt and show his name and his grace? He says this. So he has mercy on whom he wills, and he hardens whom he wills. You ever read in Exodus where it talks about and Pharaoh hardened his heart, and then God hardened Pharaoh's heart? You read both those? How does that work? Well, God hardened sovereign free will of God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and at the same time, Pharaoh... In his free will, according to his nature, his sinful human will, chose as, I mean, Pharaoh was not a worshiper of God, chose his wrath and path. How, that's how those two things work together. Now, can I completely explain all the tension behind it? No, but I, I got enough evidence in scripture to go. There's a human will. God's sovereign over it all. And when man has a will, he goes according to his nature. He chooses according to his desires and delights. What was Pharaoh doing? Pharaoh wants to make much of himself. He wants to be worshipped. This is why he wouldn't let the my people go. Look at verse 19. Will you say to me then, why does he find fault? Good question. Because people at this point will go, well, it's not Pharaoh's fault. For who can resist his will? You see, you see the tension? This is where he just lowers down the boom. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Well, what is molded? Say to the molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? Verse 22. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. What is he saying? He's like, God is the only one who is free. And what God does, he does for the exaltation of his name. And what if God, what if Pharaoh prepared as a vessel of destruction so that God's glory could be shown? What if God prepared Pharaoh, where, where Pharaoh, according to the free will of his fallen human nature, hardens his heart, but God in his sovereignty hardens his heart, and then God's grace is shown as God delivers the children of Israel from Egypt and delivers them into the land, and from that land they eventually someday bring about the Savior. Here's what we just see in this. The main point I see in this text is this. Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. He is the only one who is truly free. And when I can't figure it all out, I just run back to this and go, he's the only one that's free. That's why I want to worship him. This is why singing songs about God exalts your soul so much. This is why reading the scripture actually exalts your soul so much. This is why we want to take always a big view of God and not man. There's a limit. By the way, if you're reading the one-year chronology reading with us, we just finished Job today, this morning as I was reading it. And, and here's what you find. Although Job was innocent of the things that came on him from chapter 1 and 2, right? I mean, all the calamity. He, he did nothing sinful to deserve that, but yet he did have a fallen human nature. He, was, he, he did have that. And throughout his lamenting, there were times where he would accuse God of injustice And by the end, God corrects him of that, where where Job is now repenting. And when you look in chapter 42, Job's repentance, what is he basically saying? You have sovereign will, God. I've been questioning you, but I What, what what can the pottery say to the potter? What can the lump say to the potter? That's basically, in chapter 38 through 41, God basically says, like, who are you, Job? Who are you to question me like this? Where were you when all this was done? What kind of power and sovereignty do you have, Job? You don't got it. And then Job's like, you're right. I don't have sovereign will. Only you are free. And in that, Job worships. And in that, Job appropriately enjoys God. So only God is the one who is truly free. And that's the only God worth worshiping. And when you can't figure out everything, even if you're like listening to today's message, you're like, I don't even know what Nick talked about. He said this word free will, moral will. I don't even know what he's talking about. Just listen to that last point. God is sovereign. He does whatever he pleases. Here's number two. If you're doing points, number two. Man does not have free will autonomously and sovereignly, especially if you want to look at the idea of salvation. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Let me just look at this idea of free will in relation to salvation. Relation to salvation. There's two types of ways that, that basically in all of Christian history people have looked at salvation. They've looked at it in these are big words, but it's called monergistic and synergistic. Monergistic and synergistic. That's your new words for the day, right? Walk around and go like, I'm a monergist, right? While you're drinking your Pellegrino sparkling water, okay? So here's the difference. Monergistic, mono, meaning salvation is all of God. He's the one that does it. He's the one, by his grace, brings it to man. And if man, and when man places faith and belief in that... It's because God has already given it to him. God has brought new birth. God has regenerated him. God has done it. That's called monergism. Mono, God, he does it. It's his work. Synergism is, okay, God brings grace, but God is also dependent on man placing faith. So the synergist kind of says, God, the most biblically astute synergist will go, God foreknows who's going to be saved, it makes his predestination off that, and that God offers salvation, but man has to, ex- man accepts it through his, man puts his hand out and man wants it. The synergist would basically say, man is good enough to extend his hand out to God. It does not take completely God's own initiation. The synergist would go, God offers it, and then man extends his hand. The monogist would go, God brings it. God brings it. Man has no ability in his hand to even extend his hand. It would be, the monergist would go, God brings it and puts it on man, and then man takes both of his hands and just lifts it up to the heaven and prays. And at that point, he's now expressing faith and belief. That's the difference between a monergist and a synergist. Guess which, guess which one I am? The, the monergist, that's what I am. God is one that does this. Grace comes first. Now watch this. Look in Ephesians chapter 2. Let me prove this to you. Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. And you were dead. This is the fallen human nature. This is all of us before Christ. Well, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince, the power, the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, the desires of the body and mind. What do we see here? If you want to use free will, that free will according to your nature. We were living according to the free will of our fallen human nature. And we're by nature the children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were in bondage to sin. Being in bondage to sin, we couldn't reach our hand out and say, we want God. We wouldn't want God. How could someone want God who... Is morally bankrupt. How could someone who is dead want God? He's got to come alive. Remember when in John 3, when Nicodemus comes to Jesus and Jesus says, You must be born again? He said, There's a natural birth and there's a spiritual birth. And Jesus says to Nicodemus in chapter 3, You must be born again. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that God has to, you have to be born from above. God has to do this work, this work we call regeneration, regenerating, bringing life. By the way, John 3.16 comes right after Jesus talks towards Nicodemus. Everybody looks at John 3.16 as just this kind of defense for we've got to defend that salvation is, is, is freely offered to everybody. And I would say, like, actually the bigger onus of the passage is really about exalting that God is the one that brings salvation to people. You need the new birth. You need regeneration. So here's what happens. Man's dead. He can't regenerate himself. is This is why, this is why I'm, I'm not the synergist kind of person. I'm the monergist. But God being rich in mercy of his sovereign free will, because great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead. We were dead. Dead people don't do anything. He made us what? He made us what? Alive. Regeneration. New birth. Together with Christ. Then he says, by grace you've been saved. God brings his grace. In response to that, we have faith and belief. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. God continuing his work of grace. Grace not only gives you heaven, but gives you God now. Gives you the Holy Spirit. Helps you to have that free will according to your nature now of the new nature. Do you have free will today to obey God? Yes. If you're in Christ, yes. That's the most natural, normal thing. In fact, if you're in Christ, the most abnormal thing you could ever do would be to go back to sin. Wouldn't make sense. Look what he does. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by, what does it say? Grace are you saved through faith. Now, people always think, okay, well, that faith is like, that's our part that we do. Because we have chosen of our own free will to go after God. And I would go, how can a dead person go after something? What happens is this. God brings life. And in response, you have faith and belief. It's all of his work. Now, you might be wondering, how quick does that happen? That's, I mean, that's the part we don't know. But it's a pretty quick process. Ask it. And I have to repeat it. So make, yeah, say it loud. I would say regeneration is all it's all a part of salvation. It's all one thing. Yep, it's all one thing. I'm merely I'm merely putting I'm merely trying to go think of it monergistically and not synergistically. What some people are trying to do is take the whole package of salvation and kind of go here's here's where man is really big in cooperating and I would go man actually cooperates because God has already extended grace. So here's the deal. If God extends alive and makes new birth, the person is going to say yes to Jesus. There's no other way. People will go, well, could a person, what if a person could resist God? Well, I would say, well, a person would already be resistant towards God by nature because he's not good. He's fallen. So he wouldn't even choose God anyways. The very fact that God makes him alive means that this person is going to draw to God. That's, it's a hard one. Does that make sense? it's, you're like, sure, <laughs> not really. <laughs> By the way, you're struggling with a thought that we've all struggled with, but I would say this. This is why, as a monergist in my soul, I kind of go, God makes you alive, but do, does man have, remember, does man have a moral will? Yes. Human responsibility? Yes. Does he have a, Does if he have a, A free will according to his nature. Yes. And then what happens? When God regenerates, when God brings new birth, when God makes alive, alive to Christ, what happens? That man has that new nature. And what does that new nature do? In faith, he believes. In faith, he cries out. But he only does that because God has already done it. It's all of God. That's what makes me a monergist in this. By the way, for by grace have you been saved through faith. By the way, this is never meant, if you're online, don't think about it like, oh, it's God, you know, I would say this. If right now, your soul, I mean, I, I remember. Like, if your soul is like, I believe this, I believe that he died for my sins, I believe that he, he's my substitute, I believe, I want to take communion today, guess what, God did that. And the faith you now have is just in response to his monergistic work. You don't have to sit there and go like, has God? The very fact that you would go, I want to please him. I love him because he first loved me means that this work has happened. And don't, don't try to parse it out so neat, nice and neatly. But I will say this, look at this. But the gift of God, look, I'm sorry, look at verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of your own doing, which that's why I say monergist. If it was of my own doing, it would be dependent on me having faith. But I'm not going to have faith because I have a fallen human nature. I'm dead. That faith happens because God has already made me alive. It is the gift of God, not of work, so that anyone can boast. So this is what God does. God, Man does not have this free, autonomous, sovereign will when it comes to salvation because man is already dead. He's dead. John 6:44. Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Now you might be thinking, Nick, does this mean that we should just you're just explaining some position that basically means if God's the one out saving people and doing all this, then what does it matter what I do? Why are we doing these ping pong balls? Right? Why do we, why are you keep trying to get us to share Jesus? Because I don't have a sovereign free will over any of that. I have to do what is according to the free will of my nature and what has the free will of the new nature in Christ that I have. What has Jesus told me in Matthew 28? Jesus has said, all authority is mine. Go, therefore, and make disciples. So I freely share the gospel because I have no idea who God is calling. But I do know this. I share the gospel because I am confident God is calling. And all I'm looking for is just to be matched up with people that God is calling. And I do know this. When I share the gospel and I get rejected, I because I believe that God's sovereign grace is the one that does this, I don't walk around dejected when someone says no because that wasn't in my purview anyways. I'm just simply doing what God has called me to do, I am free to obey God in this. But sometimes it matches up. And people come to faith. And by the way, what's really cool, I have had times where I've delivered the poorest gospel message presentation and someone has said yes to Jesus. More proof that it's all of God and not of me. There have been times when I have given a gospel message to somebody, like nailed all the cute little illustrations and was just like, I've convinced you, haven't I? And it's just like, boom, just falls down. By the way, look at Romans 8. Romans 8. Look how much salvation is God and not us. Now remember, I'm not denoting the theological idea of moral will, human will, free will according to nature. I'm just saying that God's the one that initiates and does all this. It's all of his grace. His grace is enough. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now look at this in verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also what? Called. the monergistic work. I want you to see in this, salvation is a monergistic work. And when I say salvation, I'm not only talking about the initiation of Jesus Jesus coming into your life, the new birth. But I'm also saying the rest of your life in Christ, you now start to act more and more saved. You now start to act more according to your nature. Because he says this, who he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he also justified, declared righteous. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. I mean, God's the one doing all this work. So which leads me to my next thought, number three. So God is the one that does all the work. God's the one that saves. it's a monogistic work. Yes, we place belief or faith. Yes, but God is the one that's brought us to that. It's all of his work. Now, if you believe differently and you're you're more the synergist, that's fine. Just share the gospel, you know, in the end. Just share the gospel and know you're wrong. Okay, number three. Let's talk about this moral will or human will and according to like the daily decisions that we make. Okay, do this. Look back at Ephesians chapter 2. So you might be going like, okay, Nick, how does this work? Okay, I get it. You've been talking about theologians use the word free will, and you're saying according to our nature. You don't like that as much, Nick. You like, you know, moral will, human will, but whatever, Nick. But what about this? Like, how does this work? I'm now now in Christ. I've got a new nature. I'm a new man. How does this work? Well, here's the deal. Look in verse 9 or 10. We've just read about what God does. Now watch what happens with the rest of this in verse 10. For we are his workmanship, workmanship created, this is Ephesians 2.10, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared, what does it say? Beforehand, that we should walk in them. So how does this work now? If you're in Christ, do you, you still have a moral will, a human will, a personal responsibility, a free will according to the new nature. Yeah. And part of God's part of God's grace on your life is that he is driving that in your life. Oh, you and I are responsible to obey Christ. But part of having salvation is that God is driving us towards his glory. God is prepared for us good works beforehand that we should walk in them. Remember in Romans 8 that everything that's happening, he's conforming us to his image, which just means this. God is still completely sovereign over everything that's going on in our life, and his sovereignty is driving us to be more conformed to his image. And in the midst of that, what do I exercise? I am free to obey God. That's the best thing. Now, you might be saying, like, Nick, can you ever choose the old man? Yeah, the residue of the old man is still there. That's why we look for glory, because that day will be gone, where we don't Rustle around and tussle with that guy. But it is very unnatural for me to go after the old man. I mean, I can. That's why the Holy Spirit convicts me, because the Holy Spirit basically is saying, that's not God's will for your life. This is not how you are to act in the way you used to act. You have a new nature. Now, do this. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Hey, man, after this, you might be like, man, please, can we just get back to the minor prophets? <laughs> that was much easier. <laughs> Philippians two By the way, if you ever have problems in life and you don't know what to do, read Philippians two, one through eleven. It's humility. But Philippians two verse twelve. Therefore my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Take an honest look at what God's doing in your life, at your salvation, at the new nature. But also, look what happens in verse 13. But it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So look at verse 13. But it is God who... Now, we're talking to Christians here who have the new nature who've been reborn, who have, as in response to God's grace and his God's regeneration, have placed faith, are justified, all that. Verse 13, but it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So meaning this, God is still sovereign over everything in your life. And in his sovereignty, he has given you freedom to exercise the nature of that will. And God will not say no to you by being obedient to him. That's what God wants. But know that he is the one actually in the end empowering this whole entire thing. The Holy Spirit that saves you is the Holy Spirit that sanctifies you. God's grace that saves you is the same grace that is driving you in obedience to him today. God's grace is the thing that helps you to go, I forgive you. God's grace is the one that says, that says I will place... Trust in you, Lord, that you have a plan and purpose for this earthly disappointment in my life. This is God's grace that saved you. Do this. Look at Titus chapter 2. Let me show this to you in Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. What a great verse this is. In Titus 2. So we've already established grace saves a man. Comes to him first. Verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared. Monergistic here, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Now, look at this. The grace of God that's saved, in verse 11, is also the grace that trains us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Even so, verse 13, that we would wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So you even see this, that as believers with this new nature, we have a moral human free will according to the nature that God has now placed in us as redeemed. But yet that grace is still driving us today. That grace is still doing. God is still in completely complete control. And if you want to wonder like how much of this is me, I'll just will tell you this, you have free will to obey God. You want to use that? You have free will to obey God. That's the most normal thing you can do. Now go back over to Genesis chapter 50 and we'll tie this up. By the way, if you are kind of thinking, Nick, I am more confused than when I came in here. Welcome to this subject. It's been like this for a long time. But you know what's so great about this subject matter? This is one of the reasons while why wow, I want to exalt him so much because I can't figure this God out completely. Oh, listen, he's given me what I need. He's given me what I need to obey him, love him, serve him, be conformed to his image. I've got everything I need. He's given me the scriptures, given me everything I need. But God has not shown me everything, but he's given me what I need. And I can tell you this, the moral will that he's given me today and the direction of his word and his spirit, it's enough. His grace is enough. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20 and take a look back at Joseph's friends. By the way, I'm, I'm supposed to friends, his brothers, all right? <clears throat> so you might be asking this, and if you want a point number four, we're not going to spend much time. Well, then what about people who are unsaved? Do they have a moral will, a human will, a free will according to their nature? Yeah, and it should be never be shocking when someone who is not in Christ, who does not have the new birth, They make decisions based off that. They're free to do it. But yet God is still sovereign over all of it. We can't strip God of that. Now look back in chapter 50, verse 20. He says about his brothers, and you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. The tension is held here. That Joseph's brothers, according to their own free will of their nature, they did evil. And yet God superintended god over this is completely sovereign over everything that happened here as i read for you earlier rc sproul said this every choice that we make is free and every choice that we make is determined when you look at joseph and his brothers that's where it is now let me end with an illustration and by the way Do you know that just about every illustration you use, we use, to try to explain this nuanced topic, if you tease it out to the end, it falls on the ground? Can y'all all all just go like, yes, I understand that, Nick. Y'all get it? Okay. But let me try to illustrate all this, and then don't tease it too far, because it's just going to fall to the floor. Okay? Only only consider what I've told you, because everything falls short when you try to... when you try to describe the undescribable God at times, let's take God's free will and man's limited moral will or his free will according to his nature. Let's take those two ideas and get the idea of a boat. Okay, can everybody picture a boat? Okay, picture a boat in your mind. Uh, picture maybe a bigger boat, not a small one, not one of those that you just go, you know, you know, around. I mean, picture a real big boat. Now let's pretend that boat is God's sovereign, decreed will. That boat is the sovereign free will of God. And that boat is going towards the glory of God. That boat is going the exact direction the captain of the ship, the Lord, is heading it. Is everybody with me? Can you picture this boat? Now on this boat are two types of people. People not in Christ and people in Christ. And people have often said, this is the illustration they use. They would go, this is how it works. God is sovereign. Everybody's on this big boat. Jesus is the captain. Everything's going towards his glory. And there's unbelievers on this boat who are moving about, and, and God's and, and, and the, the, the free will of their nature or their human will or their moral will, they are moving about on this boat. Okay? They're moving. And God is allowing that. And then at the same time, there's believers on this boat who, according to the free will of their nature or their moral will, they're on this boat moving about. God gives that kind of freedom. But in the end, everybody is on that boat heading to what God has decided in his glory. Does this make sense? Have you all heard that illustration before? Right? I think it's a really good one. But let me take it a step further. I believe that. But yet, I can't stop there. I have to tease it a little bit further. If God is truly sovereign, and he is. Now, here's where the the theologians kind of get to. On this boat, man has a natural kind of, like, you know, he's got to get up, he's got to eat and sleep, he's going to do that kind of thing, right? He's going to move about the boat. But let's just take to the idea of moral. So here's how it works. Boat, situation, same. How sovereign is God? God, yeah, he lets people move about that boat according to their moral free will. But yet, there might be times when Jesus, captain of the ship, steps out and he says to this group of unregenerate, Hey, today, listen, I want you on the bow of the boat today. This is what I want for today. I'm going to kind of limit you over here for my sovereign purposes. He might say to the believers, Hey, I want you to go over here to the stern. Or here, I want you to go over here to the mission field. I want you to go over to the port side of the boat. Or I want you, group of, I want you to go to the starboard, the starboard part of the boat. I want you to go to this section of the boat for today, or for this hour, or for this time frame. If we're really looking at this in all, God is so free and sovereign that, yes, here's the boat. Yes, the boat's going to his glory. And yes, man is on that boat exercising a lot of free will according to his nature. But don't think at any time that according to his good purposes. He won't step out on the deck and say, you over here for today. You over there for today. While at the same time, they're responsible for what they have to do in that part of the deck. If they're told to go to the starboard or to the port. But yet, God is still sovereign over the whole entire thing. And then, yes, in that illustration, everybody is heading to the glory of God island. Some to destruction some to everlasting glory, and all are working according to the good purposes of His will. I could go with the illustration if it looked like that. Now, by the way, don't go further than that, because then you'll break apart my whole entire illustration. So, worship team, make your way up here. Now, here's the, th- here's the idea. You might be wondering, Nick, why would you even tell us about all this kind of stuff? Well, here's a couple reasons. One, so you could have one thing to to hassle me about. So go ahead and hassle me about the, the term free will. Wanted to give you that. Now, here's the reason. One is this. I want you to take a big view of God. And know that this God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. And like, you're going to be okay. Like, he's sovereign. Listen, Satan is God's Satan. The bad that may be to you, God's over that. Coronavirus? It's God's coronavirus. He is that sovereign over it. At the same time, if you're in Christ, God is conforming you to his image. All you have to do is exercise that moral will, obey him. You are free to obey him, and know that in the midst of all your obedience, God is sovereignly directing things so that you will be conformed to his image and you'll make much of his name. In the end, that's what it's all about, making much of his name. In fact, in a minute, we're going to take communion in the middle of this song. When we take communion, what are we actually doing? We're making much of his name. We're remembering the work of the cross and that someday he's coming to get us. We stand to your feet? And here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing. We're going to take communion in the middle of the song. If you've come today to edify the body, if you've got something you want to tell the body about, you want to edify the body, we want, we'll give you the mic. We'll give you a chance to do that a couple moments and we'll take the Lord's Supper um, and exalt Jesus. Would you pray with me? Thank you. Well, I have no idea if this even made sense. But I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that I can sing now and take communion and remember that it's all of your grace, that you saved me, that I love you and we love you because you first loved us. We take this communion today with that kind of memorial idea. That It's even of your sovereign, powerful will who is coming back for us and will restore everything back better that grace will always shine above man's sin what we have done to tarnish humanity creation you will correct and repair and bring the new heaven and new earth of your sovereign will let's worship you for one moment Give us this opportunity in Jesus' name. Amen.